0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. It's our first podcast of the offseason. So we obviously, since Nebraska football is not playing a game this weekend, we obviously don't have any opposing beat writers to bring in to talk about said game. So this week, we're going to do something a little bit differently. We're just going to do kind of like a whip around uh, podcast. I'm going to go to three different wonderful Hell Varsity riders, and we're going to talk to them about varying topics because there's a lot going on in Huskerland right now. There's a lot going on in Big Ten country. Um, we will get to Brandon Vogel in a little bit and get his thoughts on Purdue and Jeff Brom staying and kind of the close to the season for Nebraska. Um, at the end, we will hear from Aaron Sorensen, kind of get her thoughts on the all-conference team that was announced uh, what was that? When, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, I think Nebraska kind of <laughs> got, uh, guess I got some feelings hurt a little bit. And so we'll, we'll see what Aaron feels about that, see if she agrees with me. Um, but right now, we have the most important person on Hale Varsity's staff joining us <laughs> because it's the most important time of the year. It's recruiting time. And so Greg Smith is powering through a sickness that popped up at the worst possible time yes. to join us on this podcast. Greg, it is wonderful to have you here.
0: Thank you. I I, I feel like you've set the table adequately for me joining. <laughs> adequately. Um, <laughs> I feel the, the pressure has mounted on me right now, but I am powering through, um, and I apologize for the struggle, voice.
1: You got a hoodie. You could join the uh, the hoodie team, though. Hoodie Greg is better than regular Greg.
0: That That's good. Good. So f-
1: feel free to prop the hoodie up, and, and we'll get rolling. Okay, let's just go ahead and do it. You know <laughs> Let, let's see how I feel. <laughs> If you hear anybody talking throughout this podcast that is not Greg or I or I guess Aaron or Brandon later on, it is because we are in our office and our podcast room is not soundproof. So, Chris Gorman, if you're listening to this, soundproof my podcast room so that I don't have to listen to everybody else and so that our listeners don't have to listen to everybody else.
0: Thank you. Ironically, I can see him as, as you say that.
1: <laughs> it's a subtweet. We don't have to tell him in person. Nope. Thank you. Okay, Greg. Let's talk Recruiting. Um, For anybody that maybe was just paying attention to Nebraska football this year, not really focused on recruiting, just focused on the on-field stuff so far, um, or people that really don't get into this stuff until we hit December, um, I want you to just reset the field for me. um, For anyone that might not know what's going on, I want to know how many commits Nebraska has currently. I want to know how many of those guys you expect to sign early during this this December period. Um, I want to know kind of how many you expect to enroll early and then what this next month is going to look like for the coaching staff.
0: Okay, so Nebraska has 21 commitments right now. Um, I expect almost all of those, so about 18 of them for sure, uh, to sign in December. Um, they'll also get a couple of more commitments before the December signing period, uh, probably two or three more, um, and probably those guys would then sign early as well. So they're probably looking at 22 or 23 early signees um, at December. Um, And then they're probably looking at from high school. I think it's right now I have confirmed five guys um, that are going to enroll early. So Chris Hickman, Nick Henrich, Garrett Nelson, Luke McCaffrey, Jamie Nance right now are the five that I have confirmed enrolling early. And then we'll see who else Um, commits, and if they're an early enrollee as well, but then all of their JUCO commits um, are guys that would enroll in January and start classes on what, January 7th at Nebraska go through winter conditioning and all of that Um, because Nebraska has really put, if you've missed this throughout the season, they've really put a premium on, if you're a JUCO player coming into the program in this class, they really, really want you to be a guy that comes in um, in January, and that makes all the sense in the world um, for where Nebraska is as a program right now, they want, and on how much they trust uh, Zach Duval? like they want they want you to have coming into the program as much time with Zach Duval as humanly possible um, so which is smart <laughs> considering his pedigree um, so we assume that any Juco guy that they have signed is coming in, in in January as well and then as far as the month of December goes it's going to be a furious finish here it, it's already wild like we're not done with the first full week of the coaches being out on the road but they are seeing a ton of prospects Um, whether it's the guys that they have committed in the class and they're making sure to get out and basically see all of them um, so far but there's also a lot of um, uncommitted targets that Nebraska has continued to go and see and what will happen here as we go through these weeks is Nebraska uses these visits to one continue to they get to go out and see them in person at their school and maybe you can see them work out um, or even if they're still playing um, in their high school season you can see their practice as well um, which is a great time to be able to evaluate Players even further from where you saw them maybe on film over the summer. And then they get to go in home as well um, and get to you know talk with the player and, the, and their parents, family, um, coach, whoever it is that wants to be involved in that um, so that they can then continue to evaluate and see if they're a good fit but also set up um, these important official visits that will be coming up because Nebraska will have three official visit weekends before the December 19th early signing period. There will be more and more guys signing up for those um, as we move closer uh, to those weekends.
1: A couple of things that you- – I want to hit on that you just mentioned. They had a couple evaluation days left after the season because of not having a bye week, didn't they? I remember Scott saying something about that. Are those all gone? I
0: I believe so. I believe they are
1: gone. So they would have used those then for probably the the state championship games that were in Memorial Stadium?
0: Yeah, the the state championship game thing is really strange um, because you would think that— with nebraska basically hosting that at their stadium that they should be able to then go along and see all of those games and all of that but it gets a little tricky so yes they can go um but if they've seen a team if they've had a coach go out to see a team play already during the regular season they couldn't go to like down on the field in person to see their state championship game if that makes sense the perfect it doesn't make sense but that's the best way i can explain it because it's the ncaa the perfect example of this is omaha burke right the class a state champion in nebraska that went why Wire to wire number one, they also have two Nebraska commits, uh, Chris Hickman and Nick Henrich, and a big-time target in 2020, Xavier Watts, who had a great game in that game. Nebraska could not go down on the field and watch them play because uh, Sean Beckett and Barrett Rood saw Chris Hickman and those guys play. I believe it was before the Purdue game. The game before, everyone the game was before, I think it was Purdue, the one right before Chris Hickman committed uh, publicly. Um, so they could not go and see them again. Like there's all sorts of weird, even though they were hosting that at their facility, like they're literally right there <laughs> to be able to go and see them. Um, but they couldn't do it, even if they don't have contact with them. The NCAA is weird. That's dumb.
1: NCAA for the win. Yeah, Uh, but they were
0: definitely down there for other games. Like
1: they were, they were
0: all. And you saw them when you were there for like Mm -hmm. different stuff that was going on that week. Like Nebraska's coaches and players, for that matter, were out there watching that and cheering guys on. It was really fun to see.
1: Well, I remember during the Monday press conference, Adrian Martinez was sitting out there watching eight-man football. Like, he was enthralled with Yes, he football. really was. Like, very, very um, into eight-man football. It was great to see. Yeah, he was. Um, another thing that you pointed out, the early enrollees and wanting to get guys here. So we had a question in our mailbag um, it, it, that's been posted on site. Read it. It was posted Wednesday, um, com. We had a question in the mailbag that was like, is there a correlation between guys that arrived early, guys that were early enrollees and playing mm-hmm. time? And I think it, it broke down. So they had eight early enrollees for this last year. Four of them played uh, every single game. Two of them, Greg Bell and Will Honus, were on pace to play every single game before transfer and injury. And so two of them didn't. And that would be Justin McGriff and... Uh, Will Farniak. Will Farniak, yeah. Um, And then, so of the 14 other kids that committed and then made it, um, only three of them played at least 10 games. So Maurice Washington, Cam Taylor, and Caleb Tanner all played. Yep. And then Jaron Woodyard was the next highest with eight. Everybody else redshirted. Is there a, I mean, is, is that is that a correlation or is that just a cork of this year? Like because I know a lot of the positions where they had guys that were that played a ton, whether they were early and early or not, they were at positions of need. So is that because I know this offense is hard to pick up? It's a bear to learn. Is that do you do you expect that to be the case going forward? Early enrollees have a, a much bigger advantage, particularly with this offense than. Guys that arrive later?
0: Yes. I, I do think that, but I, I mean, you said something really key there because I think the, the position of need thing is something that becomes really, really important. As you go along, and it's funny because we spend, or I spend, all of the recruiting cycle talking about, hey, you've got to get these like high-end, like four-star kids, right? You've got to get the the best possible players that you can get. Um, And then once we get to about this point, and you start to get to the nitty-gritty of, okay, what are Nebraska's actual needs immediately, and where can guys actually come in and play right away, you start to realize that it doesn't always necessarily match up with who those top ranked guys necessarily are. So, for example, like Luke McCaffrey is a pretty highly rated guy in this class. He will enroll early, but he's going to be on that list of guys who won't play <laughs> next year uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's definitely on the path to redshirt because he's still raw. Um, but he is afforded that luxury in Nebraska is because they have Adrian Martinez, mm-hmm. who you think will be in the Heisman discussion next year, right? So, like. I do. It, it, no I said you do I do yeah and he will I say that I'm just messing with you I think he will too. <laughs> um, but so you just it just kind of depends on what like what needs are actually out there that's how Cam Taylor that situation ends up happening even though he was not the highest rated guy in the class last year though he was super underrated and I think we can all kind of admit that now and he also did not early enroll um, because of his need the need for him his position his just mental makeup and the way he attacks things that's how he ends up getting on the field the same way kind of with Caleb Tanner um, even though he was a very highly rated guy maybe the highest rated guy in the class last year um, but they had a plan for him to come in even though he was going to get here in the summer to be able to come in and make an impact so yes I think that those are the numbers that you'll end up kind of seeing but it'll just shift a little bit based on the positions will change and shift depending on what the needs actually are for that season.
1: Sure well yeah I mean Adrian was an early enrollee quarterback and you could get three early and early quarterbacks each of the next three years and neither of them none of them are going to play so like
0: this year like wide, like jamie nance at wide receiver is a guy that i would keep an eye out for that will be able to play next year even though he needs time in the weight room he needs to get bigger and stronger but he's just at a position of need and he'll be here early, so he's gonna have a really good shot to be cause he's gonna go through all through spring ball. He'll have a really good shot to at least contribute, the same way with Garrett Nelson. Um, this is a guy that will have a shot to contribute next year, whether it's on special
1: teams or sub packages, just because of the position they play and getting here early. So let's talk about that line that you talked about, the balance between position of need and best available guys. Because there's a kid out there, Wendell Robinson. Everyone had him as in, the silent commit to Nebraska, whatever. The Kentucky verbal Heldwin in home this week. Uh, you had reporting on that on HailVarsity Frost is coming later. Mm-hmm. Um, how 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 has that relationship been mended? Um, and is is he a realistic target for Nebraska to invest resources in? Obviously a tremendous kid, tremendous talent, mm-hmm. tremendous fit. Is he he he's already committed to Kentucky? He's already shown that. Yeah, he was. He was in the Nebraska, and then he backed back. He, he walked back his word. Mm-hmm. Like, is he is he a guy that Nebraska should realistically invest a ton of resources in, or are there better fits, just not necessarily higher stars elsewhere?
0: it's, it's interesting that you put it that way. Because there, man, it's tough when you ask it that way. Because I do think that. He's worth the resources okay. um, because he's just such a super talent. Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard to, and I've said this before, other places, like, it, you're not going to just roll out of bed and find another kid like Wandale Robinson. Like, and, and a part of that is his skill set, but part of the other part of it is his fit with the offense like he really just is the perfect fit um in Scott Frost' offense which is part of the big reason why th- they had such a strong match and connection to begin with and why he was silently committed to Nebraska I the other reason though that I think that he's worth committing the resources to is because I don't think that they're having to allocate a ton to him, right? And I think that they're kinda of being smart on how they do this. So Nebraska sends Ryan held in for what was really an initial like exploratory meeting, right? To make sure that the interest was still there, that Wandale had not completely burned the bridge and that Nebraska had not either, that the lines of communications could could stay open, right? And then if you send Scott Frost or like Wandale told us, um he said they'll send Scott Frost to see him later on, that's only two visits, right? Mm-hmm. And if and I assume then you'd send Scott Frost and a whole bunch of assistants. You'll send Troy Walters. You'll send Ryan Held back. Maybe you send Greg Austin as well. So you send everyone from the offense. Um, it, I just don't think. I don't think that that's a huge commitment of time, especially given if he's only hosting Kentucky and Nebraska. Then you know that he's serious about, or you should think that he's serious, at least about hearing the pitch from Nebraska still. Sure. So I think that I, I think that it's worth it, but at the same time, they will continue to explore other guys that are a little bit down the board from him um, to be able to come in and play that position because they still need other skill position guys, namely they need like this pure wide receivers like they have Darian Chase um, and Jamie Nance we talked about um, and I like both of them um, but they need to continue to get more guys on the outside because the returning production at receiver is just not high
1: yeah and I didn't prep you for this but I'm going to ask you about this because to me this is one of the most uh, pressing and interesting questions for Nebraska heading into next season who replaces Stanley Morgan you're obviously not going to replace the the level of production, but she needs somebody to fill that role. And I, the guy that everybody thought was going to fill that role is Javon McQuitty, who didn't play at all this year. Right? Who like is that a? I mean, is that something that Darian Chase can come in and fill that role, or like who 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 steps into that void?
0: I believe that that right now they roll the ball out there and they've got to play. I think Cave Warner is that guy. Um, and I mean, I'm really curious to see what happens with him with an off season. Uh, an offseason with Zach Duval and Dave Ellis again and then being able to know that he's in an actual role right so like there's a big difference to me in how and, and I'm not saying that he was lackadaisical because he wasn't scheduled to play obviously he worked really hard because he worked himself into the rotation mm-hmm. um, and then is now in these types of conversations but it's different when you're kind of penciled in tentatively at least to being the guy in the starter game one right so I'm, I'm curious to see what his development looks like next year, um, because I think he could be an interesting piece there, but it's going to have to, in a way, be by committee. You're going to need Cade Warner to continue to get better. You need Jerron Woodard definitely to get better. You need Mike Williams to take steps. Javon McQuitty does need to get off to Milk Carton, and then you probably need to have other guys that are coming into the program um, be able to contribute right away. Like, it's going to be really difficult to do. Like, that is going to be one of the Big big questions for next season is who's going who or how many guys will it take to replace Stanley Morgan?
1: I know the plan when they brought in Justin McGriff was to put some weight on him and move him to tight end. Mm -hmm. Given, I think they expected a couple other guys to really grab some firm positions at wide receiver. Given that that didn't happen, do you think the plan for McGriff has changed?
0: No, I think it's so weird. Like I still, I think that they moved him to tight end during the season. Mm -hmm. And I still, when we talked about this like privately, I still wonder if he's staying at tight end, like and not going back to receiver. But could he play outside linebacker? Would he go back to receiver? Like, I don't know if his position is fully settled yet. But I don't necessarily think that it's that it's going back to wide receiver. Interesting. Though yeah. they do have that need.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'll be something to watch in the spring. Um, let's let's wrap this up. So they've got 21 guys currently committed. Yes. You expect a full class around 30? 28.
0: 28. Okay. That's about what I would
1: say. It's still a lot. Yes. Is, is, <laughs> yeah, that's a full class. Yeah.
0: Like they could take they could take 30. Like they could absolutely do it. I don't think they will because I think they want to save a couple of slots uh for grad transfers or normal transfers. I don't think that they're in and, and I think they'll have more attrition. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, they could oh, yeah, take 30. I, I think they will too. Yeah. Uh
1: so quantity won't be an issue. Let's talk quality. Who are who are 3 upper echelon kids that in this class would be must gets for nebraska and when i say must get i don't i don't necessarily mean if they miss on the kid the class gets killed Mm -hmm. i mean more if they land the kid if they hit on the kid it's it 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 makes this class have the chance to be special
0: There are three guys that come to mind for that right away, and they are all on the defensive side of the ball. Three different levels of the defense. Ty Robinson, the four-star defensive end out of Arizona, is the first one. Eric Chenander and Mike Dawson went to see him on Wednesday. (laughs) My days are all uh, mixed up here. Uh, Four-star safety, Noah Pola-Gates, who's also, like I think, 10 minutes away from Ty Robinson. Those guys also went to see him yesterday or Wednesday with uh, Travis Fisher um, in tow as well. And then Lloyd. Floyd Summerall, the four-star defensive end slash outside linebacker down in Florida. Jovon DeWitt went and saw him, I believe on Monday, um, would be the third guy. Those three guys, if they could find a way to land all three of them, it takes the class from good to great, in my opinion. Um, if they don't land all of them or land two of the three, which I think two of the three are or more likely, um, then you're still at a very good class. But I think that you can find other players. Like So, for example, I think it's a better chance that they land Robinson and Pola Gates. Okay? Pola Gates has um, some good family ties to Nebraska. He has a cousin that is committed currently to play softball at Nebraska. I think she may have already gotten here Um, and he has family pushing him to maybe come to Nebraska Uh, Ty Robinson I felt since the spring is going to end up at Nebraska Um, so if they land those two but don't land Lloyd Summerall and he stays in the south I think that there's other hybrid outside linebacker type players that they can find that are closer to his skill set than if you were to miss on the other two guys especially Robinson like I don't think there's another guy below him that they have like serious interest on both sides with um, that can just replace that void with ty robinson like i think he is the number one must get left out there on the board for them
1: so good news for nebraska that usc continues to be a dumpster fire absolutely good news <laughs> is they
0: fire his this is so weird like so they and i can't imagine what he had to have thought about that because he had so what what day was that that they fired everyone I'm Wednesday. pretty sure
1: that was no I, I that was like monday oh no no it was no, tuesday, it was tuesday. It was tuesday.
0: Okay, okay so on tuesday he was scheduled to – Ty Robinson was scheduled to get an in-home visit from USC's defensive line coach. Nice. They fired him. Then had to – then they sent Clay Helton and the defensive coordinator and what you have to view as a panic move to in-home with him because they fired the defensive coordinator. I'm assuming they told him, hey, you know, it's a business and, you know, we had to make a business decision. But then the very next day, Eric Shenander and Mike Dawson were in-home yesterday so great timing for Nebraska, and Nebraska still has the Scott Frost visit that looms, and I think Nebraska will get the last say with him
1: before the early signing period. They're in a great position with him. That's such a trump card that they have, yes. Because I, like, when you look around the college football coaching landscape, Scott might be top top fifteen coaches that that you want that can really connect with kids. Mm-hmm. So to to be able to have like the last person in front of a kid before he commits be Scott Frost. Like, that's just such a huge advantage for Nebraska. Big deal. He's so... Because he's so
0: well-respected with parents and coaches and then kids like him so much. He's a a great closer to have on the trail.
1: Perfect closer. Greg, thanks for a fun talk. Keep up the good work on HillVarsity.com. Thank you. All right, and joining us now brandon vogel editor-in-chief out in chattanooga tennessee brandon how are you man i'm doing well how are you i am good i'm uh i'm sad that we don't have football um but there's a lot of recruiting stuff to talk about so i think greg's pretty happy with that
2: yeah greg's been doing a great job this week you know it's uh it's an interesting situation for Nebraska, not not having those bowl practices, which which hurts a little bit. But given how they didn't have time to traditionally recruit in season, I think it's uh it's going to end up working out okay for Nebraska because they have been been very busy and ta- taking full advantage of this this recruiting period they've had here.
1: Yes, they have, uh, and Greg's been doing a really good job, like you said, on uh, the Varsity Club forum on our website. So if you're not subscriber you need to be and you need to be like reading all of his stuff because he's got really good updates on where everybody's going um one coach that is sticking put and that's really what i want to talk to you first about brandon is is jeff brahm at purdue um you wrote about him in hot reads thursday morning i want to ask you were you personally affected by Bromwatch because i saw people burning jerseys and i saw there's a fbi fiasco going on in louisville right now were you personally impacted by Bromwatch?
2: I was I was not personally impacted. Um, I was I was very happy to see him stick in the Big Ten West. I think it makes the division more compelling. Um, just the you know he and Frost like already shared kind of you know up and comer offensive master traits. They also now share. What do you do when when the dream job? When you get that dream call, yeah, you can go home. We want you to be the head coach. We need you to bring us back. Um, You know, wasn't didn't just play at Louisville. He was born in Louisville, went to high school there, um, same high school that that Rondale Moore went to, uh, which which certainly helped. And for him to say essentially no, you know, the situations aren't identical, but for him to say essentially no to Louisville kind of shocked me because everything I had read led me to believe, like, oh, it's virtually a done deal, but – that's a that's a great thing for the Big Ten as a whole, a great thing for the West. And and, and I think, you know, yeah, it means Purdue's going to be better than they would have been if they'd had to, you know, start with another coach again two years later. But overall, you know, everybody's got to raise their level then. So I, I think it's a win for the conference as a whole.
1: Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, Dan Dockich told us that he was going to Louisville.
2: Oh, that's right. I forgot about this. We, t- we talked about that <laughs> on Slack. We're all sort of quietly rooting for uh, that not to be the case uh, for that reason alone.
3: (laughs) I just
1: never, yeah, I just never bought into the idea that Louisville was uh, a better job than Purdue was. And like you wrote about this in in your hot reads piece, but you know, it's just like Louisville to me, they've had Lamar Jackson. um, and, And I'm just talking about like my lifetime, like Teddy Bridgewater, maybe that one year they went to the sugar bowl. But outside of that, like Louisville has never been, a, a great, even traditionally like above average football program.
2: No, not at all. I mean, Howard Schnellenberger in the, you know, 70s and 80s kind of took that program over and modernized it and made it to the point where it could be an ACC member. Uh, but before that, you know, I mean, Purdue has been in the Big Ten since 1896. Like, their all time records are about the same, which I know is is not like a a great measure of of anything, but Purdue at its best, I think is, is more competitive on a national stage than, than Louisville at its best. And when they're sort of towards the middle towards their, their typical average, you know, producing the big 10 and and Louisville's in the ACC now, but, but, but prior to that, you know, that was, that was the key difference. So I think Brom can win as well as at, at Purdue as he, he would be able to do at Louisville. Uh the difference is he's just not uh in the in the city he grew up in and, and to see him turn that down, you know, is, is is surprising. But it was interesting. I was reading a column from a, a local from a Louisville outlet basically applauding him for the decision, um and trying to like tamp down the all of the the uproar that was that was sure to come after he announced that this week.
1: Interesting. I I mean I I think like you know, Northwestern won the West this year. Like, if Braum gets yeah. the thing going, like, it's, he could win the West. When you talk about the West, I mean, you, should, you over the last couple of years, you've talked about Wisconsin and Iowa and Northwestern. Now Nebraska is coming with Braum sticking around and continuing to build. Purdue is coming, too. He's got freshman of the year in Rondo Moore, receiver of the year in Rondo Moore, and a kid that, that you can really put anywhere and had one of the best seasons in the country of not just freshmen but anyone. Um, this decision Wednesday, it affected – a few more schools than just Louisville and Purdue. It, it affected some Big Ten schools. What, do you, what does this do to the division moving forward?
2: Well, you know, it, it, it obviously makes it better as a whole. I think it <clears throat> it's really the most interesting for Northwestern and Minnesota because Northwestern has established itself as that, that team that nobody wants to play. You're going to have to go out and beat them no matter what their record looks like. So for them to get a little bit lucky with some, some wins this year and end up winning the division kind of feels like the culmination of everything Fitzgerald's done for the past decade. Like they've always been in the haunting games um, for the most part uh, and considering the recruiting challenges there and, and other things like it's that that's a big deal for, for them to finally get it done. But I still think, I don't think that drastically changes Northwestern ceiling in, in the big 10 West, Minnesota, you know, hammered Wisconsin in in the final regular season game for both those teams and and stuck into a bowl game. But they actually made some really good improvements. So it probably hurts Minnesota the most in my mind just because, you know, Fleck's doing some good things. They're getting better, I think. But now all of a sudden you've got a Purdue team that you need to jump that when Fleck took that job, you probably wouldn't have assumed that would be the case.
1: One more kind of all-encompassing division question and then we'll get to Nebraska. In crossover games this year, the West was 10-9. and Does that surprise you?
2: Yeah, it does. I, I, I hadn't saw that or looked that up. You know, that is not the way this conference is traditionally painted. And, I mean, I, you, you can look at the rankings and, and see that the elite or near-elite teams are are still all in the East. Um, so that's part of it. But the West is, is getting better, and, and keeping Braum in the fold is is a big part of that, you know, Wisconsin had a, had a down year. They're, they're probably not going anywhere. You you can't make that assumption based on on one season. Iowa under Ferrance is is going to be Iowa. Northwestern under Fitzgerald's going to be Northwestern. And now you've got Brahm and Frost, two guys that are kind of uh, different sides of the same coin a little bit in some regards, and, and has both of those pro- programs feeling really good about where they're headed in the near future. You know. Illinois is is going with Lovey. um I don't I don't know about that choice but at least they they made a choice and they're sticking with it but they're kind of the the, beard stays in that group the beard stays I I have I've mentioned this internally uh I'll put it out there (laughs) I I want I want Lovey to continue growing the beard until Illinois makes a bowl game however long it takes
1: (laughs) that would become glorious it
2: would I mean you know you, you need you need a reason to watch Illinois football, um, and, and that's as good a reason as any.
1: <laughs> I think, if I remember correctly, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, Nebraska beating Michigan State was the game that tipped because I think it was nine and nine, and then Nebraska beat Michigan State and they moved to ten and nine. So good for Nebraska on that. Let's let's talk about something that you wrote um, the start of this week in hot reads on Monday. Frost's year one compared to other year ones. Nebraska had one of the biggest jumps in S&P, um, not just this season, but in a while. Um, I remember talking before the Iowa game about this idea uh, of a bowl game, and, and I was kind of thinking, if you get there and you lose the bowl game, the offseason then becomes about that. I think it's it recency bias plays a factor. So by extension, losing to Iowa on that last second field goal, ending the season with a loss. Like w- w- we were all talking about 5 and 1 and the reality Nebraska finishes um, you know 5 and 1 after 0 and 6 and and what ends up happening is Nebraska finishes with the same record as last year and they finish the season with a loss. I'm curious what the national take on this team becomes as we move into the offseason because of that. Um but how how will you remember this season? Uh, will you remember the team that made kind of this year-long uh, jump over last year and, and other first-year coaches kind of like you wrote about? Or or will you remember the team that, that had chances late in games against Iowa and against Ohio State and, and just couldn't win it?
2: Yeah, I, probably more of the former. I, I think this 2018 season accomplished – what it needed to accomplish for, for Nebraska, at least based on my thought going in, which was simply like get better, you know, improve the culture, all of, all of those kind of nebulous things that are, that are tough to really define. Uh, it, but it didn't happen anywhere close to, to how I thought it would look, uh, in terms, in terms of record specifically. Like if, if you had told me before the season that Nebraska would be four and eight, um, I would, ask, I would have said, well, what happened? What what went wrong? Um, part of the reason that you, you have to dive into things other than just record, I think, which is what I tried to do in that, that story that you mentioned, is because nobody leaves this 2018 season thinking Nebraska's in the same spot it was when it went 4-8 in, in 2017. And that's not just about a different coach being in place. It's about how competitive they were. I mean, Nebraska for the season was outscored by 15 points. You know, <laughs> two touchdowns essentially now if they would outscored their opponents by 15 points that's not a drastic difference but you just don't see a team go four and eight very often and only have that sort of point differential
1: right well they were one in five in one possession games like that stuff just doesn't that doesn't happen very often and when it does it flips to the other direction the year following
2: it it, it, it usually does and you know i've been looking at Pythagorean wins for a long time, basically the entire history of Hale Varsity. And, you know, it's it's not science, but like there, there's a correlation there for teams that that go way negative in, in one year with close games. what They lose a bunch of, of one score games. You should go about 50-50 in those games. So your ultimate goal is to not be in that spot, to be Alabama, you know, and, and leave no doubt. But Nebraska is nowhere close to being able to do that yet. So when they, they go one and five in those kind of games, they'll they'll get credit for that in in the off season. You mentioned what will the national perception be? I think it'll be favorable. Uh, it, it'll be won't be quite as easy to point to as it, it could have been when you could say, well they went five and one over the back half of the season. Four and two doesn't have quite the same sizzle, but I, I think people will still get it and, and identify Nebraska as a as a team to to watch out for in 2019.
1: I hate to even ask you this question because I don't want to be someone that's just perpetuating this losing culture around Nebraska football. But this season was—do you view it as a success?
2: Yeah, you know, I, like I said, you know, I kind of <laughs> said the when I, I my expectation coming in the year was was get better, and the proof wasn't wasn't there in the win loss column, uh, and I expected it to be there a little bit more. But when you you look at the you know, thousands of plays that Nebraska ran this year, which is really how, like, I think you need to break down football and look at it is, you know, look what teams are doing each and every play. How often are they winning those plays? How often are they losing? Uh, Because the score, as we've seen with, with all of the craziness and randomness can become a little bit incidental. And and people really strain against that idea, which, which I understand. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is, is the score. And, And did you win or did you lose? But, you can't use that i think as the basis for how good a team actually is because it doesn't tell you enough about those teams in, in most cases particularly for teams that aren't at the top or very bottom of the rankings which which is where nebraska has been for for quite a long time
1: plus like if you if i told you oklahoma was 10 and 1 you'd be like oh they got a pretty good team you would not expect that they have one of the worst defenses in the history of college football
2: no you, you wouldn't i mean that's
1: and, hyperbole but
2: Well, yeah, but point made, you know, and it, it, it it presents an interesting sort of analog to Nebraska, at least for me, you know, I, I think the offense at Nebraska is going to continue to get better. Is it going to reach Oklahoma levels? I think it has that potential, but, but Oklahoma is at a really high level year in and year out. Um, You know, it's really the only offense in the country that you'd, you'd kind of want to put toe to toe with, with Alabama now. (laughs) The other side of that game may not be so so pretty for the Sooners, and 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 that becomes like an issue when you're already at Oklahoma's level. Like they they have an offense most years that can probably win them a national title, and they've struggled to consistently pair it with a defense that that can do the same. Um, Nebraska may find itself in in a position like that some point down the road with with the way things. Have the potential to go under frost, but it's it's so far down the road that I think just incremental improvements on defense, with the expected trajectory of the offense, will, will be enough to get Nebraska to a point where one day it'll have to worry about that. But that day is not today.
1: It's the off season now. Uh, no football games. This is really well. I mean, you you shine post game. Your columns always put them up against anybody, but postseason when when you have to come up with your own content, this is where you shine, I feel like. What are you working on?
2: Uh, a, a lot of things. So the December issue of, of the magazine is, is going to be a kind of deep dive into a lot of the things we're talking about here. Like, what did we actually learn about Scott Frost's Nebraska through year one? Um, and we're going to talk about some of those things like like point differential and, and what it has historically meant. I mean, I, I always try to put things... In the context of, of nationally, because you, you have to, you know, you can look at impressive numbers for Nebraska or unimpressive numbers for Nebraska, but you have to know like where it stacks up against the rest of the country to to provide it the proper context. So we'll do a bunch of that. You know, the, the offensive improvements are, are kind of easy to see. It's, it's harder to see some of the areas where they legitimately need to improve. So I think that'll be a big part of of offseason coverage. And for defense, you're almost working the other way. The the weaknesses are pretty glaring at this point. But where where did they make progress? And and there there are those areas, too. I I love digging into things like that Um, and and just seeing what you can see. I think the best offseason stories really start with a question that you want to answer more so than I already know the answer. How do I prove it? Uh, and and the, having enough highway in the off season before the next football game really gives the, gives you the chance to uh, kind of go all over the road and, and let it go where it takes you.
1: Can't wait, Brandon. Thanks for joining the podcast, man. It was fun.
2: All right, thanks a lot.
1: Okay, so rounding this out, okay, I, I, so. I guess not rounding us out. Oh my gosh. Okay. So. Oh my gosh. Uh, closing us out. <laughs> you are the closer today, Aaron. Aaron Sorensen, hello. I'm
3: here to close this thing down. You were. It'll either go out on a high note or just... We're going like, to try to bring this train into the station. It'll either completely derail. Depends on how many viral videos I bring up before the end of it. Charlie! Charlie! Well, no, anybody who doesn't know, I was sort of already derailing the podcast because we were waiting for some of the loud people that you mentioned to mm-hmm. stop talking so loudly next door. So I was showing viral videos circa 2006 there were some gems that,
1: I, like i remember okay we don't like,
3: <laughs> this is a podcast for like
1: i remember like middle May. school like sitting at a friend's house watching youtube videos while we drank we, we drank like mountain dew <laughs> i was fuel. To be,
3: like while we were drinking i was like you were in middle no, no, no. school my this friend this was like mountain dew like yeah. cold red oh, and like blessed be
1: playing halo like this was that time Oh. My gosh, you took it back. Okay, <laughs> and already done. Let's, let's
3: take it back to the all Big Ten teams. Yeah,
1: let's talk about the all conference yeah. teams because those were those were released uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Nebraska had one guy on second team, mm-hmm. and that was Stanley Morgan Jr. on offense. Um, they had DiCaprio Boodle on the third team, mm-hmm. and J.D. Spielman on third team, and those were the only unanimous guys that Nebraska got. They had they had Mowberry was a media selection on third team. And am I missing someone from the offense that was a third team media selection?
3: Uh, Let me see. I'm looking through. I think it was just those
1: two guys, and everybody else was honorable mention.
3: I think you're right. Well, I let me see. Um, Martinez, yeah, he was honorable mention. Long story short, players that we were expecting. To get some kind of recognition. Oh, Devon Zigbo
1: got third team, I think. Yes, by...
3: he was the one who split. He was like, yeah. yeah mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so what was your initial reaction to those teams? Did you did you feel like Nebraska was penalized for the team record?
3: Yeah, partially, and it's always so hard because.
1: Or I guess were you okay with the teams?
3: No, I mean I think Morgan definitely should have been a first team pick. I had actually thought Martinez could have been as potentially as high as a second team pick, if not freshman of the year. And I understand that there are other great freshmen. I understand there are other great players. But when you break down where he ended his season in comparison to others, it's really hard to understand why he was only an honorable mention. I mean, at the – like, I thought worst-case scenario would be, like, third team. Like, I really thought – When I was putting together my predictions with Brandon, I thought second team seemed like, oh, well, that, you know, somebody else will be ahead of him, uh, but he definitely deserves that. And I stopped myself when they were sort of getting unveiled because they were really struggling to unveil them the last two days. God,
1: that was rough. Um, Wednesday sucked.
3: Yeah, they were making it hard on you. You better. Um, But I kept thinking, am I being biased? Like, Do I have a bias toward Adrian Martinez because he's the quarterback of the team I cover? And I kept asking myself, I'm like, you know, no. His numbers put him in a position that he should have been recognized differently. And so part of it, yes. I would think that the record probably played a big part in that happening. And it's unfortunate because someone like Stanley, especially Stanley, deserved to go out as a first team, as a first team player, but... You know, he's still going to go to the NFL, so whatever. He's going to be making more money than the rest of us.
1: True. Uh, in the long run, that really won't matter. Um, but let, uh, I want to no, ask you. No, I one. don't
3: think the NFL is going to be like, I'm so sorry, Stanley. You did not get first team pick. So, Do
1: ooh. they talk like that? Yeah, that's their fancy talk. Too? Yeah,
3: that's the people who work in the front <laughs> office. They're just like, I'm going to be here in my fancy. No, I don't know. <laughs> okay,
1: so are there it, are there two wide receivers in the Big Ten that you would take over Stanley Morgan?
3: No, I don't think so. What about I need to go look at the whole
1: breakdown so it. Paris Campbell had two more catches than Stanley yeah. and like three three or four more touchdowns, but Stanley had a thousand yards so the thing that I took exception with, the freshman of the year thing is fine. Rondo Moore had one of the greatest seasons. He did, um, and I
3: thought his whole interview was great. Yeah, and yeah. his whole interview was great of, like, understanding, like, how great Adrian was as well. And I think that was one that was always going to potentially be a toss-up. I honestly think you could have named them, like, co-Big Ten freshman of the year if that was possible. Mm-hmm. Um So I— I wasn't like I saw some people who were really upset with that. I wasn't quite as upset. It was like I get it. I I can live with that one.
1: That was one of those where it's like one fan base is going to be upset, but there is not a wrong answer to that question. Right. So the thing that I took exception with was the the team quarterbacks, and you kind of alluded to it. So mm. Dwayne Haskins was a first team quarterback. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Mm. I got takes on this. Dwayne Haskins was a first team quarterback. Fine with me. Yeah, but, you were tweeting about it. He was he was the best. Oh yeah, I I did more. He was, the he, best, did more. he was the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Um, fine with that. Trace McSorley got second team. David Blau from Purdue got third team. Adrian Martinez was honorable mention. Here's, here's some numbers for you and some rankings among those three guys, among McSorley, David Blau, Adrian Martinez. So total offense. So Trace's offense comes from rushing and passing. Martinez comes from rushing and passing. Blau is just passing. Mm-hmm. Total offense, David Blau was first among those three guys, 296 a game. Agent Martinez was second, 295. Trace McSorley was third, 250. Last among the three. Yards per play, so taking into account yards per pass and yards per run. Blau led again, 7.2. Martinez second, 6.7. Trace McSorley last. Passer rating, Blau first, Martinez second, Trace McSorley last. Mm -hmm. Completion percentage, Blau first, Martinez second, Trace McSorley last. Total touchdowns, Blau first, McSorley second, Martinez last. The difference between first and third is two touchdowns. 20-yard plays. Blau had 48. McSorley had 46. Martinez had 44. That's pass and run. Turnovers. McSorley had 8. Blau had 10. Martinez had 14. Team offense. Purdue had a better offense than Penn State. 17th by S&P. Penn State was 40th. Nebraska was 43rd. Passing S&P... Purdue was twenty sixth, Nebraska was sixty first, Penn State was sixty sixth. How does McSorley get second team? He's not he he is last in every single passing metric among those three guys.
3: So, this is this is the one thing I'll say, and this is like almost like a deeper conversation than this entire thing. But it it kind of in a way goes back to why the BCS didn't work um or not not the BCS okay let me reconfigure how this is working in my brain but like every year trying to find the best teams to get into a national championship game whether you have a playoff system or you do not but anytime you have anybody voting on something so what I guess what I was meaning is when you had um the AP votes for a national championship the coaches votes for a national championship but ultimately because of that led to the bcs and then the bcs wasn't great so it down it fell apart into what is now the college football playoff but we are seeing people upset with the committee in the college football playoff and how there's inherent bias there's going to always be the the goalposts are always going to continuously move um those people will change their mind on one team every year or on one player every single year when you have individuals deciding these things there will be inherent bias and there are going to be things that they're going to take into account that aren't going to necessarily fall into these numbers so for whatever reason you had coaches and you had media who felt like for whatever reason mcsorley was that guy that deserved that and unless we could get people to tell us in the most honest of way which you're never unfortunately going to get people to tell you exactly why they did sometimes you can but not always we're never going to fully understand why they did or did not I mean it's the same thing if like I had the vote in the media to like figure out who I would have picked and why I'm sure someone could have looked at my vote and said well you are wrong for XYZ reason so that's the hard part where I always kinda take these things with a grain of salt when there's human there are humans behind the decision because humans are going to make judgments Mm -hmm. That may not make sense. It's what makes sports like gymnastics sometimes very frustrating to me is because there's the human error element. I'm not saying anyone made an error or whatever. but that, But they did. No, but that's the thing that I always remember with these things.
1: You are um, wrong and you should feel bad. But you like, are wrong. But so
3: anyway, so that was a long way of saying like there are humans involved in this decision. Humans don't always get it right. Humans also sometimes take things into account that are not just flat line numbers. Yeah. Put it into a computer. Have Brandon make up a system. I'd be curious what it shot out.
1: So if we're talking, if we're if we're just looking at numbers, because I've seen a ton of oh well, Penn State had nine wins. This is not a team award. These are individual awards. Correct. These are in- this is individual recognition. Right. And but they probably McSorley really got
3: bias with the fact that they're associated with a particular team.
1: Yes. Um, okay. So if if team wins factor into the equation, then where's Shea Patterson in all of this? Who had who, who, who was better statistically this season than Trace McSorley, and was on a a, a more successful team playing the same position? So I, th- I think in general, quarterback wins are just incredibly overvalued as a as a as a measuring stick. Um, so if we're if you take wins out of the equation, if you take numbers away from the equation, and you just look at okay, what does a guy mean to his team? Mm-hmm. You could argue that David Blau should be up there. You could argue that Adrian Martinez should be up there. You could argue that Shea Patterson should be up there. You could argue argue that A.J. Bush from Illinois should be up there. Mm-hmm. A.J. Bush. And the thing that, that gets me is, okay, if we're talking about, okay, what do they mean to their— I wasn't
3: their, laughing at A.J. Bush just for the record. I just <laughs> remember he played for Nebraska. He's
1: listening just, to this and just got insanely so angry. so upset
3: with me right now. So
1: if, if we're talking about— what they mean to their team. Mm-hmm. Where was Mo Berry on any of the all defensive teams?
3: Yeah, the defense that, part doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me.
1: That thing was that was infuriating to me just because of the fact that, like. He, he was second in the in the conference in tackles, right? And he's an honorable mention, all Big Ten. And I know linebackers traditionally stacked, and it was stacked this year as well in the Big Ten. There's a lot of good linebackers in this conference. But even from the coach's standpoint, I would have thought that they would look at what Mo Berry did this season and what he meant to that Nebraska defense and been like, yeah, this is one of the elite linebackers in our league. Elite. Because it's not hard to watch him on tape and come away with that conclusion when I watched Trace McSorley this season there was not a single time this year where I looked at him and I thought yeah this is the second best quarterback in the conference not a single time
3: yeah and and
1: I kind of did the same thing that you did where I was like am I being biased with Adrian and and honestly at the end of the day I would have put David Blau second team Adrian third team this is just to me it just feels like I mean it And I kind of said this on the radio, it's a popularity contest.
3: Uh, No, but you do see it because obviously the coaches felt differently about that third-team spot as far as Shea Patterson and David Blau um, to what the media thought. Um, You even see, yeah, I don't know. I do like how, for whatever reason, I'm looking at these lists on uh, btn.com, and for whatever reason, the coaches – have Jonathan Taylor's name in all caps. So I just imagine the coaches being just super amped about Jonathan Taylor.
1: Jonathan Taylor tailback.
3: They're like, he's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> because he's the only one with his name in all caps. But I don't know. It's just the whole thing is weird. It just puts it into reminder for people that, like, at the end of the day, this thankfully does not matter all that much. Um, but I did see somebody talking about it on Twitter that, unfortunately, as it stands right now, Nebraska is going to need to start winning for the Big Ten and its coaches and its media to really start taking Nebraska and its players seriously. It feels like it feels like people recognize Stanley Morgan was good. It's like they recognize Mo Berry was good. Adrian Martinez was good. Uh, J.D. Spielman was good. But it was like there was almost an asterisk at the end of those where it was like they were good, but Nebraska wasn't. And therefore, because Nebraska wasn't, they couldn't have been as good. And that's kind of where I think that this ended up. Because there are so many cases for Nebraska. They had the second hardest schedule in the country this season. We're dealing with a brand new coach and entirely new coaching staff. Had like over 50% of its roster was brand new. Uh, So there were a lot of reasons that guys like Adrian Martinez should not have been as successful as they were. Stanley Morgan should not have hit 1,000 yards a season, and yet he did. Divina Zigbo shouldn't have hit 1,000 yards a season, and yet he did. Mo Barry should not have been what he was, and yet he was. So I think the, the reality is Nebraska has to just start winning, and then these type of awards or these these honors will follow because that's where the bias is, is people just don't see Nebraska as being a team that deserves to be listed on these things so it's like all of these players are good but they played for nebraska so once nebraska starts winning you can't really put that asterisk at the end of it any longer
1: yeah that's a really good point i think this the, a lot of what this does is it shows you know because we thought these guys were really good i, I mm-hmm. know when we were talking about kind of preparing for this stuff in terms of an editorial standpoint you know we were talking about okay let's pre-write something for like Adrian and Devine Zigbo and, and Stanley and JD and, and guys like that. And, you know, we thought Adrian was freshman of the year. Big 10 didn't think so. The, I mean, it, you can kind of look at it in a way that like, this is the big 10, the, the rest of the league's coaches and the rest of covering media outside of Nebraska saying, yeah, we don't think they're as good as you think you, you mm-hmm. think they are. So where then do you fall? Because this has been a conversation all season long, um, where where do you fall on the talent discussion as it relates to Nebraska's current team?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Nebraska has talent. I, and I don't ever, when I talk about this, want to uh, discredit the talent Nebraska does have. Because they do have talent. A lot of it is brand new. And a lot of it's going to continue to develop. Some of it we didn't even get to see this year because... Of injury, or because uh, they're players, you know that they wanted to redshirt. That we'll get to see more of next year, like someone like Cameron Jurgens, who obviously that was an injury, and they were going to probably always redshirt him anyway. But I think, especially when it comes to the defense, Nebraska needs more athletes. They need a very specific type of talented athlete. They need more playmakers. They have they have some of those guys on this team now, but they don't have enough of them. They need more of that. And I think we started to see some of those potential players that maybe we didn't see as playmakers start to evolve and start to surface in the second half of the season. That defense really, though, when people get frustrated with this defense, which we know this defense is going to give up yards, that's the just the nature of it. But when people were getting really upset with it, their frustration with Shenander was not exactly placed correctly. Their frustration needs to be with the fact that they don't have all of the athletes they need to make that defense as successful as possible. That is why they are out recruiting harder than they possibly could. Not being in a bowl game, you better be out there recruiting. But they are blitzing this country right now, looking for those guys because they know what they have to do. And they've got to get a defense, they've got to get players who can make those big plays because if you're going to give up yards, You have to be able to, and you're going to run the offense that Scott wants to run. You have to have athletes who can withstand it and have to be really, really good. So
1: what you're saying is. They need a
3: team of Mowberrys.
1: It's about the players and not necessarily. No, it's about the players and the players playing the plays. Playing the plays. And not necessarily the plays. Man, I ruined it. Players, that was set up nicely, and I ruined it.
3: Players playing plays. No, I just think at least this first season, it's misguided to immediately go, Shenander's defense is terrible. It's not going to work. I don't think that's true. Um, because I've seen huge gains on defense from last season to this season. Mm-hmm. Players are pursuing. They're all hats to the ball. They're all pursuing the ball. <laughs> they're, you're, you don't have your... Freaking secondary playing 10, 15 yards off the line of scrimmage, every single, sometimes up to 20 yards off the line of scrimmage in a game, you actually see people being aggressive. You see them actually attacking the ball. You see them actually tackling, using their arms and tackling and not just torpedoing their bodies at a player like that's going to knock him over. So you've seen improvement. So I'm not ready to say Schnander's system doesn't work. What we need to see is we need to see them continue to find the guys that can make the plays. The players that can make the plays for them so they can keep making the plays. I don't know. I'm going to try (laughs) to keep. But, yeah. They just need more players so the players can play.
1: Erin, now that we're out of the season, what are you working on?
3: Well, we're getting ready for our December issue. So, if anyone hasn't subscribed, they should do that. Go to store.hailvarsey.com because I have been pouring my heart and my soul into this piece. And I will be really excited for it to be be released to the world um and then you know this is really greg's time to shine recruiting season we got the recruiting we'll be hitting recruiting hard we'll have a recruiting issue like we always do every year so off season is basically non-existent we have basketball we have magazine we can start predicting what's going to happen with football next year
1: as people have already started asking for yeah yep women's basketball volleyball tournament begins this weekend for nebraska going to
3: volleyball practice Woo!
1: sports men's basketball is kicking off got a big win over clemson so people are excited about nebraska again it's that that's that pendulum is so fun with so uh, funny to it's me so, it's like the
3: pendulum just swings
1: lost to texas tech fire tim miles
3: mm-hmm. beat and clemson now,
1: final four baby um
3: he on his call-in show uh so when people are listening this would be wednesday evening is when he had his call-in show the very first caller the last thing they said to him please don't leave which I was like, had this been two weeks ago, the very first caller would have been like, please start don't packing your Don't let the door bag. hit you on the way out. Yep. <laughs> the pendulum swings.
1: Aaron, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. It was fun. Everybody make sure that you are keeping check up out with- Check
3: Charlie. I'm just kidding. No, don't do that. <laughs> go check out this viral video from 2006. You're going to love it.
1: No. Uh, go, go to hillvarsity.com instead. Use your time- uh, More productively. Yeah, yeah. Hillvarsity.com. Exactly.
3: Except for I might make a viral video thread on the forums, just, you know, in case people want to, like...
1: We've got Greg's recruiting news and more Snuggets, like, all over the place on the forum, and then just a random, here's viral videos on YouTube from 2006.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. I think it it has potential. That's contributed by Aaron Swanson.
1: Okay. hailvarsity.com. We will continue to do podcasts throughout the off-season. Hopefully, I'll get some interesting people to talk to instead of just...